dead won't bother you. It's the living you gotta worry about. Some, if I couldn't keep them there with me whole, I, at least I felt that I could keep uh, their skeletons. Welcome to another episode of the Bad Taste Crime Cast, where we bring you stories of murder and mayhem. I'm Buona Sera. A what? A Buona Sera. I'm going to be speaking a lot of Italian oh, in this geez. episode. <laughs> I'm Vicky. I'm Janelle. <laughs> and we're back again with another great episode, as I say every week. What? What? Because we're us. So everything we do is great. <laughs> we're going to start off this week's episode with a little bit of talking about pop culture. Before we talk about the thing you want to talk about, let's okay. talk about <laughs> Mommy Dead and Dearest. Have you watched that oh, yet? Oh, I haven't watched that yet. Ugh. Yeah, see? I was watching something else instead. Oh, Motoring through that. <laughs> so HBO did finally release a documentary called Mommy Dead and Dearest about Dee Dee and Gypsy Rose Blanchard. Mm-hmm. I did get a chance to watch it, and it is awesome. Actually, excuse me, I'm burping. Too much it's, mimosa. Um, <laughs> mimosa and Danish. I'm so oh, fancy. Yes. Um... I actually, because my favorite murder did their last episode about her. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh, there's a documentary on HBO. Yeah, um, they, it just released. Yeah. Watch it. <laughs> yeah, no, it was really good. And I was surprised because I didn't realize they were going to be interviewing Gypsy Rose. Mm-hmm. She's actually on there. And I think they did a really nice job presenting the facts. There were some things about... um Dee Dee that I didn't know about her relationship. crazy bitch. Well, besides that, but she had this um, relationship with her mom that was really not good either. Isn't that how it And, yeah. Well, and even when, like, Gypsy, even when, like, Gypsy Rose was talking, you get this feeling, like, it's like, yes, you feel horrible for this girl, what she was put through. But at the same time, it's like, do you, do I believe her entirely? Because her mom was such a master manipulator that there's no way that she couldn't have picked some of that up, even, like, subconsciously, like, how to manipulate people really well. So you you get this feeling. It's like, so do I really trust her, though, mm. either? So anyway, check that out. The other thing that we want to talk about is they finally released The Keepers on Netflix. <laughs> oh, my God. This is what I've been watching. This is, stuff. yeah. I am about three and a half episodes in. I was, I I'm almost stopped finished. watching the episode before I came in. I have part of the last episode. amazing. <laughs> so don't spoil uh, it for me. I'm not going to spoil it. But it is awesome. It's amazing. But it is a little misleading. Yeah. Because they tout it as, like, it's going to be about that nun's murder. And... So far, it's mostly about abuse and scandal. See, I didn't really get that impression from like the trailers and stuff. No. But I think, I think, I thought they definitely did a good job of being like, this is about, yes, it's about this nun's murder, but it's more about the cover up. And yeah. <clears throat> so maybe, I mean, maybe a little misleading. Um, but they do a really beautiful job, uh, oh, like no, production wise. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. The, the people that they have in the film are great. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and these are real people that are yeah. that are armchair detectives. Oh yeah, investigating yeah. This. It kind of follows these two women who are really digging into this mm-hmm. case. They were her students. Yeah, and it's horribly tragic. Mm-hmm. Some of these stories is horribly tragic. Yeah. Um, super good though. Yes. Definitely worth a watch. Yes. Yeah. I'd say, um, <laughs> we were discussing doing like a, I was gonna live tweet like the oh, casting John Bonet, yeah. and then I watched five seconds of it and was like, absolutely not. So did I did a little tweeting. Watch it? I don't, did I, you like finish watching I, it? I, no. Because I was so put off by it 
Oh, see, I really enjoyed it. I did not. But I think that, in that, that was definitely, like, a case of, like, the, I think the way that it was advertised was a little misleading. It made it. It's not what it seems, for sure. it feels like a bunch of failing actors just trying to get a part. Yeah, well, and I think, I, and that's the thing is, like, I think for what it is, it was really great. I thought it was really interesting, but it was definitely misleading in the way that they advertise it. It's 100% misleading. And, I mean, it is what it is. It yeah. is not about what I wanted it to be about. <laughs> and <laughs> I was it. like, uh, no. Yeah, so no. I did not live tweet that. I did a little, you know, discussion on our Twitter about the keepers, and I was like, you know, let us know what you think about that. Yeah. And we could maybe discuss it a little bit further. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. I think maybe <laughs> maybe in our next episode we might go into it a little further once we've both the finished church, it. We'll, but we'll, we'll discuss yeah. church and murder. Yeah. <laughs> that could be an episode. We might do that, yeah. Church murders. Yeah. So that's kind of what we've been watching. Did we even introduce ourselves? Yeah. Did you forget that? Yeah, I said I'm Vicky, you said you're Janelle. And then did I? Jumped did I say my name, though? Were... Because I yeah. don't remember saying my name. Yeah, you definitely <laughs> did. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that all happened. Oh my god. Yeah. We can redo it. Is this it a dream or a Welcome to the Dead Taste Crimecast. I'm Vicky. <laughs> I'm out of my mind now. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, now do you feel like you've done it? Oh god. Edit all of this out. Oh god. Give me another mimosa, darling. <laughs> so <laughs> where I, am I? <laughs> I gotta, I normally start off with news, although I did most of my news on the on our last episode, and there hasn't really been too, too much. Mm-hmm. Janelle texted me <laughs> last night and was like, so I have this game we're going to play. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God. Um, oh, dear God. I like doing things new and exciting, so I'm going to play this I game. don't like change. <laughs> it's not change. It's, it's just change. a game. It's just a we game, have, Vicky. We what are you format. afraid of? <laughs> yeah. We have a format, Janelle. Uh, what? No. Um, I'm going to no, call this... Uh, Guessing a murderer, <laughs> and I'm going to play just four, okay. so don't feel too pressure. I'm going to play four audio clips of a serial killer, convicted serial killer. They'll give you some clues. Okay. <laughs> discussing, you know, their murderer, just talking, and I want Vicky to guess from this clip who the murderer is. Okay. Now, I'll play it. You can ask me one question. Okay. And... Did then you, you have me multiple choice? I can give you multiple choice if you want. I was gonna let you at, get like ask for hints, if that will help. Oh God! And see, I'm horrible at remembering. Stuff A couple like of this. them will be really easy, and the you say that, the but end, I am totally gonna embarrass okay, myself. A couple of these will be pretty notable. Okay, I'll say that, and the one at the end might be harder. Okay, because um, not as notable. Okay. Okay. So, uh, she nobody judge me. This? No, nobody judge me. I'm about to embarrass myself. I say I'm all no. about true crime, and I'm not gonna. I find the interviews fascinating, so I watch them a lot. A lot of people don't, but I mean, yeah. it'll it'll be interesting. Okay. I have to be careful though, not to let them go too far, because sometimes in some of these they say their name, and I'm like, nope. <laughs> so this is gonna be real short. Okay. This is number one audio clip. Ready? Yeah, I guess. And let me kill the rest of those guys to turn me into a serial killer. I know they did. Because I was no professional serial killer or anything. Alright, so I know that one. Okay. Because she is one of my all time <laughs> favorites. Yeah. See, I'm sorry. I, that is uh, the lovely Eileen. Eileen? <laughs> Too many mamas. Eileen Wernos. Eileen. 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 Yeah, that I was Eileen Wernos. Yes. 
Crazy. Ding, ding, ding. Crazy girl. We have a winner. Hey, I got one. I got one. Okay, this is going to be number two. Okay. I'm make sure when I have to cut off the audio. All right, are you prepared? I guess. Ready, go. Find some fulfillment, some, some pleasure. And I acted on my fantasies, and uh, that's where everything went wrong. That kind of sounds like Ted Bundy? Close. He's it Ted sounds Bundy-like. like him. Yes. Okay. Ted Bundy-like. He's more from around this area. Um, I'm totally blanking. Can I get multiple choice? <laughs> okay. Um... Do you have to come up? Are you coming up with the no, choices? No, I'm off trying the top not to like say it right out from the get go. Okay. So we have, um, let's say, uh, okay, we'll say not Ted Bundy. Okay. Um, Gacy, uh, Dahmer, okay, uh, Richard Ramirez, okay, one of those three. Okay, I'm gonna say Dahmer. Yes, that's Dahmer. <laughs> yeah, that is Jeffrey Dahmer, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Okay. This is fun. I like this. <laughs> yeah, this is fun. That's not as bad as Okay, so this one might be a little bit harder. I love it. Okay. Okay, sorry. I had to remember which <laughs> what time I have to cut the audio off. Okay, go. Strangulation, mm-hmm. and he was like watching. Yeah. Oh God. His name. You can say the name that he was called in the newspapers because he had a very oh. specific. He had a very specific, uh, abbreviated name. Was it the BTK? Yes, it was BTK. You <laughs> did it. Yeah. Okay, no. I'm calling that three for three. I thought maybe what he was saying would give you a yeah, hint. I, um, <laughs> like, manual strangulation. I know, but then how many times, how many manual strangulation cases are there out there? Well, I tried I to pick like popular lots. ones. Yeah, BTK is so, pretty popular. BTK. Yep. Um, now this one, maybe hardest for you. Okay. <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. I'm feeling pretty good coming off those last days. <laughs> You're on a serial a killer high. high. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Let me just double check. I keep forgetting what time I have to cut it off. Don't say their names. What were those fantasies? What were they? Yes. Um, possessing the severed heads of women. Men didn't turn me on. That wasn't very... I couldn't appreciate the appearances of a guy that when I was young, I was about eight or nine years old, I went to a, this little... Come on, it was like at a record store or something, and they had this crowd of kids there, and there was a magic show. And this guy, you've probably seen it, the fake guillotine hand pressed, and they put the potato there. 
someone puts their so neck in the, uh, in the brace, and they slam this thing down, and the potato down below chops in two, but the person's head doesn't fall off, right? And everybody gets very fascinated by that. Oh, my God. And then when he puts the blade in place and he pushes it down, it goes through that neck hole. But it never chops anybody's head off. Okay, so he wanted a volunteer out of the... I'm not standing in this crowd watching this show. And he wanted a volunteer out of the audience. And some quite beautiful little 16-year-old girl gets up there and this big laugh, you know, giddy and stuff. And I start getting caught up in this. I said, wow. And right at that moment, I departed reality because logically I should have been able to ascertain that that could not happen. You're not going to get away with chopping somebody's head off in the middle of... Uh, in the middle of Helena, Montana, the capital city. Okay, so he gave a location. He was talking <laughs> about chopping women's heads off. <laughs> um, Very Jeffrey Dahmer-like. Was that Ted Bundy? No. You <laughs> just really wanted to be Ted I do! I do! No, I have no idea, but that was he super might be a fucking bit creepy. Harder. Um, the, he was like, this was in... 94 interview, but let me just double check it. I won't tell you wrong information. Facts don't matter. <laughs> this is true crime where facts don't matter. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so Helena, Montana, if that also helps you out, um, is where he's from. He killed people between 1964 and 1973. Ten victims, all women. He had a creepy mustache. Not mm, Miranda. Nope. I don't know. Am I going to feel real stupid for no, not knowing No, I don't think it? this one, I think, would be the hardest one, because um, he's known, but not as well known. Um, okay, tell me. Ed Kemper. No, I would not have known See, that. I, yeah. I was like, this. I'm taking a gamble on Ed Kemper. Yeah, that is um, one but that I would voice, not know. But his voice... Is in our so creepy. He's in our oh, intro. I can't fucking know that. <laughs> He's in our intro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I yeah, was I was kind of playing whether or not to play it because I was like, he's in our intro for like a hot minute, but I was like, whatever. <laughs> Jason picked those sounds. I don't I know, know what's in there. <laughs> Jason oh handpicked our murder sounds. So that is the guess of serial killer. That was really fun. Da, 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 da. That was okay. fun. I yeah. like that. <laughs> Try to mix it up. Yeah, right. <laughs> Make it exciting. <laughs> uh, so today we're gonna talk about some old folks. Yeah, yeah. Did you Mine's have not as old as yours? I'm just gonna. I can guarantee you that. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I did. So this is actually a suggestion from my mom, mm-hmm. uh, my mother, who is an avid listener of our podcast. <laughs> hey, mom. Um, I waved to the mic like she say, could see uh, me. Yeah. I'm trying not to Hi. insult people. Yeah. <laughs> no. So she said, "I'd really like to hear some murders about like people who are like older, like yeah, like older." And I thought, "Oh, that's really great," because. Um, after doing this research, what I realized is a lot, the elderly crime is normally things like sack widows. Well, that, or it's like, it's like burglary. A lot lot of like burglary. It's not a ton of like violent crimes. Hmm. Unless you're crazy. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so it was a little, I had a hard time finding one that I was like totally behind and there was enough information out there to, to talk about. Mm-hmm. Hopefully it's not mine. <laughs> oh wait, it's, did you check? I did check. Okay, good. I did check before I did these, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, uh, gonna talk about Sandra Lame. Okay, I don't know who that is. She, uh, and this one is pretty recent. It happened in 2011. Um, 
So once we start getting into two thousands, there's so much stuff. I'm just like, oh, I haven't heard that one. Oh, that's yeah. not good. Well, <laughs> and after researching this and seeing her picture, here, let me show you her picture because I remember like the news reports and seeing her picture on the news reports mm-hmm. um, when this was happening because this would have been you know six seven years ago. Oh, she does. Look Do you remember familiar. right? Yes. So. In 2000, in August 2011, 17-year-old Jonathan Hoffman moved in with his grandparents, uh, 74-year-old Sandra Lane, and her husband Fred, who was 87. And he had moved in because his parents had divorced and moved to Arizona, where his younger sister Jessica was undergoing treatment for a brain tumor. And he decided that he wanted to stay in Michigan to finish out high school. He was going to, like, this uh, alternative school kind of thing. They talk a lot about how he was this troubled kid and, um, you know, he really just wanted to finish out school there and yada, yada, yada. Um, in early 2012, Jonathan Hoffman started using drugs and was eventually hospitalized after taking mushrooms. And later he was charged for possession of marijuana and drug paraphernalia on March 17th. For that, he received a 93 day suspension uh, or a 93-day suspended sentence and 12 months probation. And after that, he, uh, he started becoming really, really violent and did things like breaking computer monitors or, like, you know, punching holes in walls or kicking in doors. Typical young male. Right, no. yeah. <laughs> um, and Sandra was really kind of at a loss of how to handle the situation. She had never been put in this spot before. She was trying to take care of her grandson that uh, she really loved. And so she called to report that her grandson was out of control and the police came to de-escalate the situation. It kind of dispersed after that. But I think that was one of the few times that she did actually call the police on him because a lot of times she would tell them to, like, go away. It's fine. I have this under control. Like, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. On Monday, April 16th, Robert Cirpriano, Cirpriano? What is that? Here we go, guys. Cipriano. Cipriano. It's Italian. Yeah. (laughs) See, you were prepared for this. I was not prepared for this. (laughs) This is not all of mine is an interview, Um, so. (laughs) Robert Cipriano was murdered in his home in Farmington Hills, which is really near, uh, near where Sandra Lane's residence was at. They were in like Metro, um, Detroit. Basically, Tucker Cipri- Cipriano, who was Robert's son, was accused of beating his his whole family, his father, mother, and brother, before the murder. And this might have kind of sparked something in her, in Sanderlane, that be- because this son, this this kid's Tucker, um, he was also enrolled in like an alternative school. He had also started using drugs and kind of living that lifestyle. And she thought that her grandson could also kind of like snap in an instant and might do something like this to her. And so they started to argue argue about the, his behavior and all of his drug use. After um, the violence really accelerated, Sandra decided to get her permit to carry a handgun. Oh, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Old ladies with guns. Buddy. And then she had purchased a 9mm Glock by April 27th. And things kind of seemed to calm down after that for a little bit until May 18th when Jonathan Hoffman was called for a court-ordered drug test and he tested 
positive for K2. Fucking K2. Yeah. Uh, which, if you don't know, K2 is, uh, it's also called Spice. It's a synthetic marijuana. They say it puts holes in your brains. It's not quite as good as the real thing. It's not. It's, just don't do it. It's illegal now. Don't get spicy. Yeah, it's, <laughs> do not. Um, and they also talk about on K2, your behavior becomes really erratic. It's like you turn into a crazy it's like person. Bath salts, yeah. Basically. Yeah, I know we've been talking about Aaron Hernandez. They say he might have been on K2 when he committed suicide for, a little perspective. Anyway. <laughs> Enough of the Aaron Hernandez. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> so, according to trial testimony, Lane and her grandson then started to argue after he had failed the drug test, and Jonathan demanded money to leave town, thinking he was going to get sent to jail. Like, don't send me. I don't. I can't go back to jail. Don't. I don't want to go to jail. So he was trying to get money from her to leave town. Feeling unsafe, uh, Sandra Lane shot Jonathan Hoffman uh, with her newly purchased Glock, and he was rushed to the hospital and ultimately died from his gunshot wounds. According to Dr. Ruben Ortiz Reyes of the Oakland County Medical Examiner's Office, who performed the autopsy on his body, five gunshot wounds were found on his body in addition to a grazing wound on the back, and his death was ruled a homicide. So this is where things get kind of interesting, right? Um, this this would really become a point of contention later during the trial because the autopsy was amended twice. But and if, you could amend an autopsy. Yeah. So if you, um, as somebody who's providing an autopsy as a, as a coroner, you go in, you do an autopsy, maybe you go back and look at the body and notice something that you didn't notice before, stuff like that. In this case, the, it was amended in terms of changing the paths that the bullet took through the body. So the injuries were never changed. Yeah. (laughs) The injuries were never changed. The, the manner of death was never changed, but it was just like the way the bullets traveled through the, through the body. Um, Lane was arrested shortly after police was arrived without incident. And the next time we would see her again was on May 21st when she appeared in court and was charged with open murder. So I wrote this little awesome awesome section called Legal Lessons with the BT Crew. <laughs> We're going to try, guys. Yeah. We're going to try. <laughs> because I don't know what the fuck open murder is, and yeah. I learned this. That, Did you know? Is it like an open adoption? <laughs> yeah, right. Kind of. <laughs> what is but open not. murder? Yeah. It's like we're going to just wait and see if they do it again. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I did want to look it up because it is kind of a weird charge. I don't think it's something that we have in Illinois. Probably. Um, it is definitely in, in uh, Michigan, though. So basically what open murder allows prosecutors to do is charge a defendant with multiple different types of murder or manslaughter. See what sticks? Um, yeah, basically. <laughs> basically. Basically. Oh, right. No. It, so what happens is a, somebody will get charged with open murder, but it allows prosecutors um, to charge the person while they're still gathering information about the crime. So in this case, because the situation was a little bit more complicated, um, later we'll talk about the basically it was self-defense versus a murder. Like, that was the court case, and it was a little bit more complicated. They are able to bring a charge of open murder without having to be too specific about what kind of murder was actually committed, and this will allow them to gather more evidence and have a more uh, solid charge come trial proceedings. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And it's not a federal thing. It's, like, in this one, it is specifically in Michigan state law Mm -hmm. that they do this. So, like I said, I I don't know that in Illinois we have this. 
Um, so yeah, that is your legal lesson. Now you know what open murder is. Holla. Moving on. We um, should just be lawyers, basically. I, I could. Because we're so good. As long as I could Google everything, I'd be, like, good. <laughs> Can you imagine the Google lawyer. state of, like, legal... Vicky like, Walters, the Google lawyer. Now. Call me for your Google needs. <laughs> oh, my God. Here, right? It's like... Google voice. Oop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that I sounded like my voice for I, a second. I, I like, said the what? word Google too many times, and my phone just opened up and started talking to me, so whoops. <laughs> Do you have it set to Janelle voice? Yeah. <laughs> Can I get the Janelle voice on my phone? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this trial was fucking crazy. I mean. For real. Because, I can only imagine. As I said, the big question was, was this self-defense or was this a cold-blooded murder? And a lot of these questions really rested on this evidence of a 911 call that was Ooh. placed by Jonathan Hoffman at the time of the incident. Okay. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the 911 call. We're not going to add it to the recording because I know too many people who are like, Really, um, not comfortable with yeah, that. They're not comfortable with that. Put a link up. Right? Yeah, we're gonna put a link up on it. It's also like four or five minutes long, right. so I didn't wanna, you know. Um, you. If you're interested, <laughs> it'll be on our website. I'm gonna go ahead and play this for Janelle, and then we'll come back and talk about it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we are back. Oh god, we just listened to the 911 <sighs> call that Jonathan Hoffman placed Why at the time of the incident. Myself? <laughs> so, I'm going to go over with you guys the stuff that was happening during the 911 call. You hear Jonathan telling the dispatcher, I've been shot, my grandma shot me, I'm going to die, help. And the dispatcher just keeps attempting to try and keep him on the line, and after a few minutes of, like, kind of being quiet, he... You kind of start hearing him scream again, and he's saying, I got shot, shot again, please help, help, while a woman you hear in the background that we know now is Sandra Lane, she's heard yelling, um, and then officers arrive on scene, so... It was hard um, to understand what she was saying. Yeah, and it sounded it a lot like, like, oh my god. It was like, oh my god, oh my god, because when the police got there... like she was putting it on, basically. Well... When the police got there, she they yelled for anyone inside of the house to come out, at which point she came out of the house with her hands up saying, I murdered my grandson. And I think it, de- it definitely sounded like, oh my god, what have I done, kind of a thing, like mm-hmm. a regret, almost. Um, but she, she came out, there wasn't any, like, altercation, but she walked out of the house with her hands up saying, I've shot my, I killed my grandson. Um, so the big question here with this audio is she shot her grandson son the first time and then she went downstairs and this was a time during the trial that her defense lawyer said she was frightened and her first instinct was to go and hide. Uh, but she came back upstairs while Jonathan was still on the phone and shot him an additional three times. The weird thing is you don't hear the gunshots. That's right. That's the weird thing. Like, yeah. It's like, well, and I wonder at that almost. point how far away from the phone he was, and there's, yeah. you hear a lot of, like, this dispatcher chatter, too, mm-hmm. happening while they're trying to dispatch the police and all this other stuff, so it, it, you don't hear them, but she came back up and shot him three more times. So he called, he was shot, called 911, she shot him once, and then came back and shot him an additional three times. So and she just would have shot him the one time and just left it at that. And got help. If that, she would have shot him and that called 911, like, or shot him and left the house, but or... she shot him, went downstairs, yeah. 
and then came back upstairs and shot him again. He doesn't have a weapon. He's mm-hmm. already down. The police are called. Like, and this is why at trial it was so. It like everything hinged on this phone call because you don't really it's see. Very it doesn't telling. read self defense. No, because he was shot and then called nine one one. And if if that would have been it. Then yes, yeah, I could see I that. But the fact that she came back and shot him another couple of times—that is just—the um, <laughs> defense lawyers claim that on the nine one one tape, you can hear that Jonathan was grabbing at her and attacking her, and that she feared for her life. But the prosecution um, told the jury that she never rushed out of the house. Um, despite claiming to be really afraid of her grandson, and she had never called for an ambulance once she had shot him the first time. Yeah. Um, and then, in addition to that, a hospital nurse who had given Lane an exam, uh, an examination after they had arrested her testified that she had no injuries indicating a struggle and spoke really lovingly about Hoffman while they were at the hospital. So, at the end of the day, that um, fucked up. <laughs> I know, isn't that crazy? And that's why I did want to play it for you because it's, it's like literally everything in the trial rested on that 911 call and what was there because. I mean, that really says it all. That it's like a, it even, even in this, it's like a he said, she said kind of thing. Right. And you have this woman coming forward saying, I was scared for my life, but there's not a whole lot of evidence that that was really the case. That, yeah. You know, I'm sure that might have been true at one point, but like repeatedly shooting somebody doesn't really show self-defense. I mean, if she shot him that many times the first time because she was, there was adrenaline going and she was afraid. Right. But she like took a break and came back and was like, "Mm, I didn't shoot him enough. Yeah. Well, (laughs) and they make a good point. Like the fact that she didn't flee from the residence, she just stayed there. Even if she were to stay there. Usually if someone's attacking me, I don't just hang out. Yeah, no. (laughs) So, the end of the day, the jury rejected um, the self-defense claim, and they did find her guilty of second-degree murder. She was sentenced in uh, March of 2013 to a minimum sentence of 20 years, as well as a mandatory two-year sentence for using a gun to commit the crime. Um, so she'll be in for 22 years. But in 2014, Sandra Lane took her case to an appeals court, saying that her rights had been violated when a judge barred her from introducing comments made by Jonathan Hoffman that the defense claims were threatening and would have helped her claim of self-defense. Um, I know it gets a little tricky in that because some of that it's it's like depending on whether it's hearsay or not. Mm-hmm. Um, but the appeals court in Michigan rejected this argument because uh, I don't know they just rejected it. Um, and yeah, as far I as mean, I can tell, probably she's, from based upon the other evidence that they yeah, had, that it wouldn't like, have. They probably rejected it. <clears throat> excuse me. They probably rejected it on the grounds that it wouldn't have bolstered her self defense claim at all. It, wouldn't really have helped it or affected it in any way. And as far as I can tell, she's still incarcerated. I mean, the weird thing about this, too, is, like, she did she ever mention, like, oh, he had a weapon, or he came at me, or he tried to attack me? Not from what I remember. Well, so, she, the, how so, can you claim self-defense? Okay. <laughs> so, she di- I don't think that she had mentioned she had a weapon. Her defense lawyers claimed that this altercation that happened before he was shot the first time, he was, like, punching her and kicking her in the chest, but... Even with those claims, yeah, when she went to do, like, the examination at the hospital, there would be evidence of some kind of struggle or abuse, and the nurse testified there was absolutely none. There wasn't any evidence of any sort of, like, even a Mm -hmm. struggle. So, I I don't think that it was self-defense. No. I think it was deliberate, but... Yeah, it sounded like she was getting fed up with his bullshit and just shot him. Yeah. 
So that's, it's still, I think it's still in a, she's still got some appeals left, but as far as I can tell, I don't think she's going to be getting out. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. So that's Sandra Lane. Okay, okay. Our elderly killer. <laughs> How old is she again? Uh, she is 70, well, she, at the time of the murder, she was 74. Okay. Okay. Well. What do you got? Uh, a te duro una storia di omicidio e di intrighi. Si. That is Italian. <laughs> uh, so I have a story for you of murder and intrigue. I'm to going be, to speak like that the entire time. <laughs> to be fair, I looked at your notes and Stop like, it. no, I looked at your notes Stop before it. this to make sure I wasn't doing the same person, no. but I saw that title that was all in, well, what I Italian. assumed was Spanish, but it's it Italian. Italian. Actually, they're very similar yeah. languages. They're both in, rooted in Latin. Yeah. So a French lot of is actually names. really similar to Spanish also. Exactly. Yeah. They're all Latin-based. Yes, um, uh, My mother is going to be proud. My mother is Italian. I took yeah. two years of Italian and two years of Spanish. Sometimes I mix them together. <laughs> Shout out to the moms on this episode. <laughs> yeah, um, so she'll be happy that I'm actually speaking Italian. Um, <laughs> I'm not just talking to myself in Italian or my boyfriend. You just got to... And he's like, that's cute, but I know you're yelling at me. Uh. <laughs> Because I am. Um, <laughs> so my uh, murder takes place in Italia. <laughs> is, oh that, is that okay? Can I just Are keep talking sure? like that? <laughs> I mean, you do. It's it, going I to guess. be like uh, La Dolce Vita, but a murder. <laughs> I don't. I can't take you seriously with that. Accent. Oh come on! Oh, yeah. Come on! So, uh, come on! Should I be like an Italian American? Come on! Uh, come on! It's a Sunday. Let's have the gravy. No, that's too much. I hate when people do that. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday gravy? Nope. Italian things are going over your head. I got a good joke. Mm-hmm. What do Italians call a large fog? What do they call a large fog? Bigamist. Because <laughs> uh, uh, we're racist? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hear that a lot. <laughs> um... Uh, no, I mean, there's going to be a lot of Italian names in here and cities and things, so I prepared myself by okay. prepping you with some did Italian you, phrases. Did you um, pull out your, what was it, Muzzy? Was that the, the Muzzy, the, like, thing that had the, the bear, the cartoon that taught you language? No. Muzzy? No? I know what you're talking about, but no. You didn't pull out, you didn't pull out your Muzzy? Uh, no. Oh, I guess that's also a derogatory name for a Muslim. Is that not what that's called, though? Um, maybe, maybe you're spelling it wrong. No, I'm not. With a Y, see? Oh, that's why. It's Muzzy with a Y. My bad. Look at that green guy. Okay, sorry. Uh, No Muzzy. Um, this was lessons that I actually paid for. Okay. Okay. Fair. When I was in high school and college. Um, so this is the story of Leonardo Cianciulli. Um, and she is called the La Sopuna Fecice di Correggio, which is the soap maker. This is really impressive right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> the soap maker of Correggio. Mm-hmm. So, Sopuna Fecice, if you know anything about soap making, I worked at a soap maker for a while. Um, Saponification is the process of soap making. So. Everything I know about soap making I learned from Fight Club. Oh. Well, that's kind of, yeah. Yep. You take... Fats. Yep. I used vegetable-based fats. You render fats. down the fats these people take out and sell them right back to them. So this is going to be the Fight Club edition. <laughs> yeah. Of Fight Club! She's the Italian OG. style. This is probably where they got the idea for Fight Club from, because she's know. the soap maker of Preggio. Put two and two together. <laughs> 
Okay, so she... <laughs> she's known for killing three women and turning them into little soaps and tea cakes. Oh, and tea cakes? And tea cakes. Oh, God. Okay. Oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so she was born in Montello, Italy, um, and she was, like, a very unhappy little girl. She was very depressed um, for a good portion of her life. Um, and she actually attempted to kill herself twice before she reached the age of 17. So, not off to a good start. They didn't really talk sure. about her home life. They just said that she was sad. Well, if you know Italian history, Italy at this time when she was born um, in the early 1900s, like, dirt fucking poor. Yeah. They, this is like World War One. They were briefly involved. Shit got fucked up in Europe at this yeah, time. Yeah. So, a lot of, I mean... A lot of places were poor in in the European area in Italy. Sure, very very poor. So I could see them. You know, maybe it was just their life. It wasn't very good. Yeah, <laughs> you're just a kid of a poor family. Um, so in 1914, she married Raffaella Pansardi, and uh, they went and moved to Loria. Uh, while they were living in Loria, she was caught. Um, kind of trying to uh, not pay bills. Okay. So they would go and they would buy stuff from the butcher and they would put it all on a credit and she would oh. pay them in false checks. Um, and not checks like we think of now. Like um, It's more like a system of a cashier's check. So she would go and get a legit cashier's check and then copy the cashier's check. Uh, several okay. times and try to pay these people. So it's off. like laundering cash yeah. checks. So, um, so she was in, sentenced for fraud and imprisoned, uh, and then released. I think she was only there for two years, but she was released in 1927. It didn't say when she went to prison. Um, not but back then it wasn't counterfeiting. Perfect. I definitely yeah, I know, did not be laundering. <laughs> counterfeiting. I'm like, God, I'm such an idiot. It's Sorry, okay. keep going. <laughs> Um, I dazzled you with my Italian, and now you just want stupid. Oh, <laughs> your Italian's so great, I don't know how to do Dual languages, what? No. <laughs> um, hold on. This water bottle's very loud, so I didn't want to, like, talk while I was drinking, because <laughs> it's just like, clank, 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 like a flask. Um, so she was released in 1927, and after being released, they moved to Lacedonia, um, and they stayed there only for two years um, because their house was destroyed in the earthquake of 1930. So in 1930, like, this is also right when World War II started getting, like, Germany was starting to get taken over by Hitler, like, his whole movement. Um, an earthquake hit Italy and, like, fucking decimated, like, the northern half of the country. Okay. So their house was destroyed and they decided, you know what, let's just move. And so they moved one last time to Correggio. And that's where all of these murders take place. Uh, so once they moved there, she opened a little shop, and it was kind of like a homemaker shop. So they had, you know, soaps and kitchen stuff and cleaning supplies, and they also sold pastries. <laughs> so kind of a catch-all. That is a weird combination a of shop. shops. Um, but sure. But she was, like, really well-known in the community. She, people would come to her for advice. She, you know... She owned the shop. She worked there by herself. They would come in. They would buy their stuff, and they kind of chit chat. And she would give you know her advice. She was like the quintessential Italian mom, like, uh, "Oh, you shouldn't do this because yeah, you know, it's a bad luck." That um, and the funny thing is too, Italians by nature are very suspicious people. Yeah, and like 
very highly superstitious. So she was very superstitious. Um, and the thing that people used to do uh, back in this time period, those popular would they would go to see a gypsy and have their fortune told. Okay. Um, and it wasn't... I totally would have been one of those people that's like, let's go to the fortune teller. This is something that all women did. They yeah. Like, we need to know our fate. We need to know our future. It's a weird, ingrained part of the society of, like, Italian probably, country women. <laughs> well, it's probably why we're st- a lot of people are still super fascinated with it now, too. Oh, yeah. Um, so she went to this gypsy uh, right when she was first married, and the fortune teller told her that all of her children would die before her. And so this... That's depressing. This made her extremely, extremely nervous, and it increased her superstitions tenfold. Um, and this is... It's partially... I mean, it's true. She It, it happened. Yeah. Uh, so... She had 17 pregnancies in her lifetime. Oh, wow. And of these 17 pregnancies, only four children survived. Wow. And they lived to adulthood. So three of them were miscarriages, and the rest of the 10 children died before they were the age of eight. Oh, my gosh. So, and this was all in between, uh, let's see, when did she get married? 1914, and this is 1930. Wow. So she's like trying to have babies and raise kids her entire life that just keep on And they keep dying. Dying on her. And I mean when you're poor and you don't have I mean you live out in the middle of nowhere. I mean it's a city but it's still a city. I, there's not yeah. hospitals in every city. What year this was is 1930. Yeah. I mean you well, have even, a doctor that travels around. Well, and even if there was like sanitation at that time it doesn't was exist. Awful. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um and this is like a country town so it, you know You'd be lucky if you had a doctor that lived in your town and not the next one over. Yeah. So, um, after she saw this gypsy, she was super superstitious, and um, the gypsy also told her that she saw uh, confinement in her future, as in, like, prison confinement. Oh. So, uh-huh. uh, this gypsy fucking knew it. Um, so, she was extremely protective of her remaining children. Um, in 1939... Her eldest son, Giuseppe, was drafted into the Italian army, and this was, like, the beginning of World War II. So, as you know, if you ever went to school, uh, Italy was... School? What's that? Italy was in the Axis, and she was scared out of her fucking mind because Germany was just romp-a-stomping all of Europe at this time. And so she was like, I need to do something. He's going to die. The gypsy told me this, and it has happened thus far. And she that was the eldest of her children. He was only 18 years old. So she was very, very afraid. Um, So to save Giuseppe's life, uh, she decided that she was going to go on a killing spree. Oh, jeez. Not so much that. That always solved all of life's problems. Uh, So the the killing spree that she went on, which was only three women until she got caught, uh, (laughs) were sacrifices... To keep her children alive. Oh. And it was going to be one person for each child. So she only got to three. Oh. So it was only going to be one more person. Only one more person. It was only going to be one more person. She had four living kids. It's Um, one, guys. Come on. I mean, it's a person for a person. You know? And the... Ugh. Okay. (laughs) So, (laughs) the first woman that she killed was Faustina Setti. 
and um, she was a lifelong spinster. She's my kind of gal. Um, <laughs> she was. We got a lot of. We do have a lot of love for the spinsters on this show, man. Okay, she was in her mid thirties. Just saying. Is that a spinster? Spinster life. You're mid thirties. Yeah. Well, what was oh. it? Like, like two episodes ago, we were talking about spinsters, something or other. They 25. were like twenty five. Yeah. <laughs> twenty five. Uh, that was the eighteen hundreds, though. This is like a hundred years later. Come on. Okay, so she was a spinster, and she would go into the shop and talk to Leonardo, and um, Leonardo said, you know what, I actually have a pretty good, suitable suitor for you. Um, I'm going to be your matchmaker, and I'm going to match up with this guy. So she told her that her suitor was in Palo, and a city, not the person. Um, Oh, in Palo? In the city of Palo. Gotcha. Um, and Leonardo convinced her to write postcards to her loved ones before she left so that once she reached Paolo, that, um, she could send them out and they would know that she got there. Yeah. Sounds legit, right? No. Um, so Leonardo poisoned the wine and that they were drinking. And then once she had passed out, basically, uh, she killed her with an axe. <laughs> she chopped her up into little pieces, set her body, her chopped up body pieces in a drainage basin, which is what they used um, for, like, when they butchered animals okay. to drain off the blood. Oh, yeah. Um, for She sat there in there for a few hours and let the blood collect in the bottom. There's, it's like, two setting inside of each other, and the blood collects at the bottom. Um, in her official statement to the polizia, which is... Italian. 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 Uh-huh, okay. Um, this is what she said. She's quoted as saying this. There's actually a lot of books about her that you can read, so this is from her um, personal biography. Uh-huh. Um, I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, uh, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the mixture until the pieces dissolved into a thick, dark mush. Then I poured it into several buckets and emptied it into a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it coagulated, dried it in an oven, ground it into a powder, <gasps> and mixed it in with flour, sugar, oh, chocolate, no. milk, and eggs, as well as a little bit of margarine. I kneaded it all together, and I made crunchy little tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came in to visit. But also, uh, Giuseppe and I ate them too, her son. And I was like, is oh, this sh- the first case of, is this the first recipe for red velvet cake? Oh my god. <laughs> Creepy. Ew. You know, my dad used to, like, I feel like my dad always said he wouldn't eat red velvet because it was made with beets. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that would be a better story. Like, because it's made with blood. Uh, yeah, so I'm like, this is the first uh, recipe for red velvet cake. Um, <laughs> it sounded like a delicious cake, though. My blood. She, so she was eating them too? Yeah. I guess in in her head, part of the sacrifice is that you had to eat it. Um, but if you think about it, blood is a major component of a lot of like recipes, like blood sausage. There are cakes where they put they're like uh, savory cakes, not sweet yeah. cakes, where they put pig's blood in it and stuff. Because yeah. when back, I mean, back in that time, you were supposed to use everything, but not human blood, not yeah. humans. <laughs> no, gross. Okay, so the second victim. Uh, that she killed was Francesca Suavi, and um, Leonardo claimed to have uh, found her a job at a school for girls in Piacenza. Um, she was like 
kind of poor and uneducated, and she had a difficult time um, finding work. Uh, she lived with her father. Her father was disabled. He couldn't really work. So it was up to her, and she thought, well, wow, this this job at a girl's school, that sounds great. I can send the money back to my dad. Um, so Leonardo convinced her also to write postcards to be mailed when she arrived. Um, so this was like her calling card. She'd have them write postcards. So it made it seem like they reached their destinations. And so that uh, okay. she wouldn't be implicated, you yeah. know. But they, all these people that she killed, told their, you know, significant others, the people they were living with, that they went to were going to go visit her yeah. before they left. So yeah. that's how she, she got didn't think it. <laughs> yeah, she didn't think it well. all the way through. Um, so this was in September of 1940. So it was about a year later. Um, she did the exact same thing, um, but instead of throwing away most of the fat. Um, she made soap out of her and tea cakes as well. And she served the tea cakes in the shop and she sold the soap. Man, she loves them tea cakes. Two people in Correggio. Ew. <laughs> uh, you were rubbing a dead person's fat yeah. all over you. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Leonardo's final victim was Virginia Cacipio. And she was, like, a former opera star. She was, like, a really well-known soprano. Um, but she had fallen in hard times, and she wasn't able to sing anymore, because this was, you know, World War II. There wasn't that much dazzle happening in Italy at the time. So yeah. a lot of their clubs and stuff were closed. <clears throat> and unless you were shipped off to Germany to entertain, you know, those troops... You didn't work because people were not allowed to go out and celebrate and have fun, even though technically, I'm pretty sure this is before Mussolini was murdered. Yeah. Um, technically, you know, they were on the winning side, you know, so she wasn't working. So Leonardo claimed that she had found her uh, secretary work at uh, a opera house for an impresario in Florence, which is like a big to do impresarios are, like, art directors for um, music. So they were in charge of hiring the singers, of setting up shows, of getting it together. Um, And so this guy was supposedly, the thought was that she would be his secretary and maybe be able to get into a show and then be sent to Germany to sing for them. Sure. Um, So that did not happen. Obviously. (laughs) Cacipio's body was... (laughs) Of course, melted to make soap um, in that beautiful double basin. Um, and then <laughs> Leonardo uh, made a statement to the police about uh, this. She said, um, she ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was nice and fat and white. Oh when God. it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne, and after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some of the most exceptional creamy soap. <laughs> And I gave bars to all of my neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were even better. That woman was really sweet. Oh, my God! That's horrible! That is horrifying! I'm going to show you a picture of her, just so you kind of, like, see. Okay. Um, So, she was only in her late 50s. She looks like she's 75. Yeah, she looks like a woman who's worked her entire life. Yeah, so, um, also, she looks like a typical... uh, Italian one. Italian <laughs> uh, A buffone, which, you know, she's a witch. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> um, how she got caught 
was the last victim, Virginia's sister-in-law, grew kind of suspicious because she said she was going to go talk to Leonardo and then leave the next day. Well, she never came back home, and they figured, like, she just all of a sudden disappeared, you know? They went to the train station, she wasn't there to take the train that she said she was going to take, and they remember, oh, we went to go see Leonardo before. So... Um, they reported it to the police superintendent in Correggio, um, and, um, the guy's name was Reggio Emilia, and he went and followed the clues, basically, and he, (laughs) the, like, newspaper headline was, Murderous Unmasked, the Soap Maker of Correggio. (laughs) Murderous. Oh, jeez. Um. So, when she was questioned, she immediately confessed to the three murders. And she said, I did it to protect my children. And I would have done one more. Um, just one, guys. Just, just and she said, and I would have stopped. And I was just like, what? Yes, just one more and I would have stopped. Just, oh, well, if that's the case, then go <laughs> just, ahead. Just go. Just pick a, you know, somebody doesn't okay. have a family this yeah. time. Um <laughs> So, obviously, the court found her guilty of the crimes and sentenced her... Her sentencing was interesting to me. Okay. So, they sentenced her to 30 years in prison, and then after that, three years in a criminal insane asylum. Really? After her prison sentence? Yeah. I'm surprised. Which is weird. That is weird. It's weird to me. But, the more I think about it, so you're, you're serving the time in jail for the murders, but they know that you're not sane. So, then they send you to an asylum... To treat you. Um, so I guess, to me, that kind of, I don't know, that makes more sense than just sending him straight to an asylum, because she was lucid enough to know that she killed these people, but she killed them for a crazy reason, you know? Yeah. Because a gypsy woman told her all of her kids were going to die before her. And it's like, what? <laughs> yeah. So she wound up spending um, a little weird. more than three years in the insane asylum, but she uh, she actually died in there. Um, she died in the Pozzuli Insane Asylum on October fifteenth of nineteen seventy, and she had a cerebral apop- apoplexy. Oh. Um, that was a fancy word. Yeah, I don't know sciencey stuff, um, <laughs> but it has to do with yeah. brain, brain clots and shit. So um, you know, I think the reason that the like the mental. St- hospital after your prison sentence seems so weird to us is because now you get one or the other really Mm -hmm. or if you're getting some sort of counsel you're just jail yeah (laughs) and i think if you're getting some sort of counseling they would do it inside of the prison system as well it's not like i mean this was 1940 when she was caught so i mean for 1940 that's kind of pretty advanced thinking in terms of uh criminal psychology so, I mean, I kind of applaud Italy for uh, being not just like, you know, bitch, you cray. Bitch, you, know, you cray. You go in jail. Um, although, 30 years, it was basically 10 years per person. Yeah. I mean, eh. doesn't seem very yeah, fair. They have, <laughs> I think they have lighter sentences on murder. Oh, yeah. Well, especially it, for a woman. It definitely, well, especially for a woman. It depends on sentences. what country you're in. So, mm-hmm. like, in Italy, it would have been a little different. So, um... You can actually see a number of artifacts from the case still. Really? At the Museo Criminologica in Rome. Let's go. Um, they have the pots where she boiled the people on display. No. Yeah. Let's go. She was, it was like a big case. 
I feel like I'll have to remember if I ever go to Rome one day. Yeah. I definitely... To, to an entire that. criminal museum dedicated to is it Italian to, crimes. Is it to... Oh, it's to all Italian crimes. All Italian crimes. That's pretty cool. It's not cool. strictly her. Yeah. But, I mean, they have the... It's like copper kettles that she boiled people oh in. Oh, my God. On display. Can I sit in them and take a picture? Right? Take a picture of me in these tubs. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean... That's... That's crazy. That's Leonardo Cancilli. And that's what it's like when old people commit crimes. I yeah. say old people. I mean, 50's not that old. I know. She was late 50s. But, uh, but I had a hard time finding people older yeah. than 50 that weren't, like, black widows. So it's like, we already discussed a lot of them that I yeah. found. We discussed on the Black Widow episode. And I didn't want to rehash out stuff like that. So I'm like, I guess, I mean, 50 at that time, that would have been considered fucking old in I 1940. Um, did find another one. Hold on. Let me go through all my handwritten notes. My notes. (laughs) Yeah. There was one that I was looking into. Her name was Mangoth Baratheret, who set her future daughter-in-law on fire. Oh. She was over 60. But it was for, it was, I think she is in India. Mm. And it was, uh. I just really like this one. I actually yeah. had her on my list at To Do. And then I was really? like, I kind of looked into it more to see. And I was like, wow, how old is she? I was like, I could bend the rules a little bit. She's in her yeah. late 50s, almost 60. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> it's <laughs> we not a podcast. We can do what we want. We didn't have a definitive no. age group, so. No. <laughs> um, no. but her story's fascinating. There is a biography that is mostly written out of her statements and stuff yeah. that you can read. And That's pretty cool. There is a documentary. I don't remember the name of it. I'll put it up um, on the website when I can find it again. Um, it's pretty interesting. Uh, she's very scary looking. Yeah. There's, uh, <laughs> there's like a old, not a wives tale, but like a, at Christmas time, there is a witch that goes around and gives you presents. It's like their version of, it's called the Epiphany. It's like their version of, like, the St. Nicholas celebration. Okay. So she leaves sacks of toys and goodies, and it's mostly oranges and candy. Does she leaves sacks of soap? Yes, yeah, sacks of soap. Um, but the way that they portray her, um, that's what the soap maker of Correggio looks like. She yeah. looks like... Tell you, sacks of soap and yeah. tea cakes. <laughs> so she looks like the witch. Yeah. Um... And it's pretty fascinating. Oh my goodness. La Befana Stephanie. <laughs> I'm going to talk like this the rest of the day. Well, if you guys, <laughs> on that note, yeah. if you guys enjoy this. She just wants me to stop. <laughs> like, stop. You are offending me. This is my heritage. <laughs> Let my Italian flag fly. Oh. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more episodes like this, you can visit us on our website at thebadtastecrimecast.com. We're also on Facebook at the Bad Taste Crimecast, on Twitter at BT Crimecast, on Instagram at the Bad Taste Crimecast, and tons of other social media. Oh, yeah. We're also on Patreon if you want to help support the show. Yes. Um, Check it out. I have some interesting stuff. On our Patreon. If you, if you just go and look at our levels, if you donate at different levels, you get different stuff. Um, our Patreon contest is over though, so. Yeah. Just so um, you know. <laughs> there will, we have a winner. <laughs> there should be links to the Patreon on the website, otherwise mm-hmm. you can go to patreon.com, uh, forward slash the bad taste crime cast. Yep. Um, there's a link on our Facebook, I think, yeah. and our, uh, Twitter. Yep. Um, you yeah. got shout outs? I do. We yeah, another iTunes. I have a shout out and an iTunes review. So, um, I wanted to thank some of the people on Twitter because they are just amazing. Our Twitter is like 
super active. I don't want to brag or anything, but we're in 175 people. Ooh! Which exploded. Big time! We exploded overnight, basically. All of a sudden, all these people started, like, (laughs) tweeting at us, and I was like, oh, I better keep this up. Yep, that's Um, all you I just want to thank uh, Maria Barber, and she's at Maria Barber on Twitter. She was, <laughs> she tweeted, she's like, I thought I said no more true crime podcast, just kidding, at BT Crimecast. And then she tweeted again saying, you guys need to check them out. They are so awesome, awesome, awesome. So, Yay. thank you. You're awesome, awesome, awesome. You are awesome. And, um, yeah, I have one more iTunes I love these iTunes you. reviews. Um, oh gosh, I have to go back. Oh no. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm going to read <laughs> this one because it's interesting. Um, so yes, if you write a review, let us know, send it to us if it's not on iTunes. Um, otherwise we'll read, we'll read reviews from iTunes. Um, so this one is from the Atari 25, and it is entitled, Gives Great Ear Flavors. Thanks, Atari 25. <laughs> I thought it was my brother, because he had a rap song um, where his lyric was, uh, we're giving you great ear flavors. Uh, <laughs> you know Nolan, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, that sounds like They gave us five stars, Woo. and <clears throat> they said, you don't have to be a creep to love this podcast, but it certainly doesn't hurt. If you enjoy finding humor in tragedy, assault, murder, or crime in general, you will enjoy these ladies. Listen to this on the way to work. It will just put you in the right mood. (laughs) I guess it depends on where you work. (laughs) Right? Um, Maybe not with children. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) um, So thank you, Atari25, for that beautiful iTunes review. And Um, thank you all for, like, the encouraging words. It's been really awesome. Yeah, our Instagram and our Twitter, like, are exploding. I've had so many people, like, just taking our Bad Taste Crime Cast picture and putting it on their page or their Twitter nice. and being like, check these ladies out. It's so funny. You're like, yes, we are funny. <laughs> you know who else we should are entertaining. Check out is no. my suggestion of the yeah, week. Yeah, suggestion Love. of the week. Yeah, so this week uh, I have been listening to the Accused podcast. Oh, shit. It's about the unsolved murder of Elizabeth Andes, and it's a one-off. It's about ten episodes. It's so... It's, I kind of like those. Yeah. It doesn't suck you in too much. <laughs> right, yeah. And it's honestly, it's like the podcast version of, like, Making a Murderer or yeah. The Keepers, where it's just, mm-hmm. like, kind of this one-off series that you could just do. Somebody mentioned... Um, some fucking asshole at NPR said, oh, the, there's a podcast bubble and it's going to burst and it's too popular. And I was like, whatever. You're just jealous, NPR, because this yeah. is the new public radio. <laughs> Can I just throw out there that NPR has a shitload of podcasts, too? Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, please, you jumped on that train as well. Um, um, so this yeah. was, it's called The Accused. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. So, uh, was really, really great. Um, the narration was good. She asked a lot of these hard questions of some of the people involved in the case. Um, so if you're looking for kind of a one-off, just a couple episodes, like I said, I think it's about 10, definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Any other shout-outs or anything? Um, no. Oh, I did just want to say thanks to Cider Scene for shouting us out again. Oh, hey, Cider Scene, what's up, boys? Again yeah. on their we, page. We love those guys. They've been doing... You have to. I like them by choice. <laughs> right, I, have, I love them because <laughs> I have to. Um, Hashtag family life. Yes, but 
I'll be doing a couple of their events soon, so nice. I will try and, you know, rep some bad taste crime cast while I'm there. Yeah. Like, if you enjoy cider and murder, yeah, cider do and I have murder. a podcast I actually enjoy both of those <laughs> things. Exactly. <laughs> um, so we do want to say uh, thank you to Tiff. Our sound and editing is done by Tiff Weech. Our music is by Jason Z. Thanks, Tiff. Thanks. Where are we at? Lurking. She's somewhere in the house. I don't even know. Um... And that's it for this episode. We will talk to you in two weeks. Ciao. Bye. The police are calling the hillside strangler has murdered ten young women and left their bodies on the hillsides along the highway. It was as if a wave of evil washed over this town. We are all evil in some form or another. Spain! <laughs> no. It's a country! Oh, God! Muzzy? You didn't pull out your muzzy? <laughs>